You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farah of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. We sin, and then Satan's right there to build this infrastructure of guilt to continue to condemn us and distance us from the Lord. See, if he can keep a Christian off their knees out of prayer, he wins. He wins. And we are unnecessarily defeated. This is why Paul in Romans 6 says that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You are free from the dominion of sin. You will still face temptation as you follow Christ. Christ himself faced temptation after all. But as Pastor J.D. encourages us in today's message, you are no longer subject to a pattern of being defeated and enslaved by it. You can live in that freedom and joy by simply surrendering yourself fully to Jesus. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth in Psalms chapter 127. When your children watch you as you're training them, and, and by the way, what's the number one thing that a parent has to be oh so careful about in training up their children? Hypocrisy. Do what I say, not what I do. Oh yeah, how's that working out for you? No, they, they need to see it modeled. They, they, my boys needed to see modeled by me how it is that a man of God loves his wife like Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I want, if the Lord tarries, for my wives, my son's wives, yet future, to say to me, thank you for the way you brought up your boys, because you taught them well, and you taught them right, and you brought them up right. They know how to treat a woman. Because those boys watched how I treated their mom. The best thing you could ever do for your children, dad, is to love their mom and to model for them, this is what a man of God looks like. This is what a godly husband looks like. This is what a a godly man looks like. It's not just in words, it's in deeds. Psalm 129, another song of ascents, verse 1. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord, verse 4, is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which, verse 7, the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, 
the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Okay, what, what, what is the psalmist talking about here? What is this psalm about? Well, it's about expressing the confidence on the part of God's people for the deliverance of the Lord in the face of affliction and persecution. And the psalmist, though speaking chiefly about the affliction and persecution of Israel, this is one of those timeless truths for us today. And by that I mean God is always, and I mean always, going to have the final word when it comes to the affliction of His people for the sake of righteousness. Let me say the same thing in a different way. If you're on the right side of a matter, you can be rest assured, though it may not seem like it, the adversity that is against you, those that are antagonizing you, those that are afflicting you, those that are persecuting you, for righteousness sake, you can be rest assured that God will have the final word. This is what we were just talking about in Second Corinthians, when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth in chapter 4. And if there was ever a man who could say this, it was the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he writes in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Again, there's a a paradoxical truth woven into the fabric of this psalm and what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians. And it's that of, yes, this is what might be your lot in life, that co-worker, that just, I mean, they, because you're a Christian, and worse yet, they might be your boss, and they just make your life intentionally very difficult, just because you're a Christian. Let me share with you, maybe just give me a, a couple minutes, um, a true story. I've shared it before, it's been a while, but I think maybe it's apropos. This is many years ago on the mainland when I was in my 20s and I was working for Mercedes-Benz at the time, and I had this uh, guy older than me, uh, knew I was a Christian, um, and, you know, I, I really tried to, uh, you know, uh, be a good witness, especially in the car business, and I wanted to maintain my integrity and have all of my dealings be above reproach. And there was this one guy, um, his name was Harry, uh, and uh, he would, I mean, do everything. It was like he would get up in the morning and try to scheme and plan and figure out a way to get to me. He would steal my customers, take my commissions, and, you know, just, just to kind of see what I would do. And he would always taunt me and you know, kind of ridicule and mock me, and you know, you call yourself a Christian, and which always gets me when a non-Christian 
says to you as a Christian, and you call yourself a Christian, what? You're the expert on what a Christian is supposed to be? Really? That's always bothered me. But I mean, this guy would just, I mean, he would deliberately try to get to me. And I started praying for him, not the way I should have prayed for him, by the way. Uh, You know, in all fairness, I didn't pray that God would kill him, though the thought crossed my mind. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest with you. And don't act all spiritual and pious, because you've had those thoughts too, you know. Just, Lord, let them be met with their untimely death and just get them. uh. No, I prayed this. I prayed, Lord, would you get him another job far, far away from here, in a land far, far away. (laughs) And you know what? That happened. He gets this job and he moves, this is in Spokane, Washington, all the way to the other side of the uh, mountains to Seattle. I'm like, hallelujah. Lord, you are so good. Oh, you're the God who answers prayer. Thank you, Lord, for hearkening unto the voice of my cry and removing this thorn from my flesh. Well, not much more time had gone by, and then I ended up leaving and starting my own business. And I happened to be in downtown Spokane one day driving, and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, here comes this car, and it cuts me off. Why are you looking at me like that? And my sanctification fled from me because I was in a hurry. And don't they know that I'm in a hurry? So I try to move around, get around the car, and I, I managed to do so. And then only to notice that the car is, is turning around and following me. And so I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm looking in my rear view mirror and I'm thinking, you know, who is this guy? So I, I start, you know, going a little bit faster, and, and then I stayed the speed limit already. Of course, this was <laughs> far away. And then, and then I said, well, maybe I'll turn off over here, and, and he keeps following me. And finally, he starts flashing his lights to pull over. So I, I pull over, and I look in my side view mirror, and who is it? Harry is back. And I'm like, are you kidding me, Lord? No way. This is probably a year and a half after he had moved to Seattle. And so <laughs> I, I roll my window down like that much. And he, he walks up, he goes, JD. I'm like, what? You're not going to believe this. I was just about ready to get on the on-ramp to get back to Seattle. And I prayed please, Lord, let me find J.D. before I go back to Seattle. And I was just about ready to get on the on-ramp, and there you were, and I couldn't believe it, and that's why I cut you off. I'm like, what are you going to do, kill me? Why why did you have to see me? And with tears streaming down his face, he said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I wanted to tell you, oh my goodness, I was mortified. I'm like, oh God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Here's the thing. I didn't even pray for him to get saved. 
How shameful is that? Oh my goodness. What a wretch. This is a long time ago, okay? This is long before I got into the ministry. Well anyway, we end up, the next time he's in town, we end up going to dinner, his wife and him and my wife and I. And as God is my witness, he shared this with me at the dinner table that night. He said, you know, J.D., I was watching your life. And I, I knew that, you know, you were a Christian, and I really put you to the test. And I was watching, and I was waiting for you to kind of blow it. So I could, you know, say what I've always said, ah, you Christians are all alike. You're just a bunch of hypocrites. Because there are two questions, right, that every non-believer wants to know about the Christian. Number one, is it real? And number two, does it work? And believe you me, they want it to be real and they want it to work, because if it's not real and it doesn't work, then they have no hope. You're their hope. If it's real for you and it works for you, then that means it can, it can be real for them and work for them. And he shared with me about how that he watched me when my wife and I were trying to have children. We couldn't. It took us 10 years. We would get pregnant and then we would lose the baby in a miscarriage and we were devastated. And he said, I watched you go through that. And you just, you, you, you remained steadfast and that did something to me. And I finally broke and I said to the Lord, I want what JD has. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was terrible. I was a horrible man. You have no idea what I prayed for you. And then, and then God answered it. And, and look how he worked it out. Anyway, be careful what you pray for, right? So um, anyway, I just, I, I think I share that Maybe that was for somebody here, maybe for somebody online. You just never know. You just never know. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Verse 1, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But, verse 4, there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So Psalm 130 is a very encouraging psalm, especially for those who might be in the depths of sin and all the guilt that comes with it, or in the midst of a very difficult trial, because the psalmist is saying, 
We have no right to ask God for anything because of how sinful we are. And isn't it true that the enemy is right there to remind you, hey, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go to the Lord just yet after what you did. After those thoughts, the intent of your heart, after you just got into the flesh, I wouldn't I wouldn't pray. Lord, you, the Lord's going to answer your prayers after what you did? After how you sinned? Don't even think about it. Forget about it. This, this is the one thing, and I was thinking about this. Just bear with me. We're almost done. Think this through with me. Satan knows that he can sever the most powerful connection we have vis-a-vis prayer. And the way he'll do it is to tempt us to sin, because when we sin, that connection is severed until there's a confession of that sin. So what happens is we sin, and then Satan's right there to build this infrastructure of guilt to continue to condemn us and distance us from the Lord. See, if he can keep a Christian off their knees out of prayer, he wins. He wins. And we are unnecessarily defeated. This is why Paul in Romans 6 says that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Very misunderstood promise of all the promises in God's Word. Paul's not talking about the temptation of sin shall no longer have dominion over you, because if that were true, then Jesus would have never been tempted. And Jesus was tempted. To be tempted to sin is not sin. It's when we're enticed and we give into it, and we are dragged away by it, and commit the sin, that's what Satan's intention is. Because he knows that once he can get us to sin, then that connection is severed. Now how are we going to reconnect? We have to confess that sin. First John 1 9 has been called the Christian bar of soap. If we will confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And here's the thing, it's instant. It's instant. Never let the enemy get away with lying to you and telling you, this one was really bad, especially because you told the Lord you would never do that again, and there you did it again. And the Lord has had it up to here with you. He has told you till He is blue in the face. But it sounds like your earthly father, doesn't it? It's not your heavenly father. So, you know, it might, you better give him a couple days to kind of, you know, cool down and forget this one before you, you go to him. No. Let me ask you a question. Do you think for a second that the Lord is surprised when we sin? Can you imagine that? So we sin and here's the Lord going, oh, I can't believe it. What in the world? Are you kidding me? He did it again? You think the Lord was surprised by that? No! The psalmist is crying out, saying, Lord, I don't deserve it, but you're a merciful God. 
Lord, I'm so sinful, I'm such a wretch, but you're a gracious God. Lord, I have sinned against you, I have no right to come to you, but you're a forgiving God. And you will always hearken unto the voice of my cry, because you love me, you're merciful, you're gracious. And oh, by the way, (laughs) that sin was paid for. I was thinking about this on the way here tonight how it is. I mean, just to get your mind around just how it is that not only are we forgiven of our sins, though they be as scarlet, He makes them white as snow, and He removes them as far as the east is from the west, and remembers them no more. I like how one said it, every time we pray and ask for forgiveness for a sin again, a second time, we're reminding the Lord about it because He already forgot about it. It's kind of like, I already forgave you for that. You just reminded me of it. I already forgot about it. I already moved it as far as the east is from the west. Why are you bringing it back? It's already been paid for. I already forgave you. It's finished. It's paid for. Why do you think I sent my son? He, he paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future. What, there's a, there's a limit? What, do all of us have certain points or a number that, you know, we get to? I, I was thinking about this. This will be the last thing, and we'll close. You know when Peter queries Jesus about, you know, how many times should we forgive, you know, someone when they sin against us? You know, like, what, seven, you know, seven? Oh, Peter, you're... You're such a loving and forgiving man. No, not seven. Seventy times seven. You know how many times that is? 490. I didn't figure that out. Someone, I read that in a commentary. That's how I know it's 490. (laughs) I guess I could just, you know, calculate it. 400, in other words, if somebody sins against you 490 times, you get the, get the impression that, you know, <laughs> they, uh, they don't like you. You can take a hint, right? What was Jesus saying? You, you forgive them 490 times, but if they sin against you 491 times, no, that's it. 490, that's the limit. No, don't keep count. You forgive them. Now here's the point. If we're to forgive each other that much, how much more will our Heavenly Father forgive us? Is there any limit to His forgiveness for our sins? You know, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is the one that's not confessed. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is the one that is not confessed. There's a lot to learn from the book of Psalms, and we're so glad you've joined us to sift through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. The range of emotions expressed in the pages we've been studying give us an accurate and beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the almighty and loving creator of the world. Before we end our time with you today, we'd like to share how you can access more of these messages right now. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. 
Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. Again, that address is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today. We pray it's blessed and encouraged you greatly. Pastor J.D. will continue studying through the book of Psalms when you join us next time, right here on In Spirit and Truth.